Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscamall, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, broadcasting to you from the castle, the fancy name for my home office in the uh, now the northeastern portion of Durham, North Carolina. Uh, we have a lot to go over today. A lot of you are wondering where I have been. Uh, we also have new listeners who've never actually heard the podcast yet, so i got a lot to talk to you about. Our last episode, you will probably recall, was May 12th. Um, where to begin? I mean, Jesus, we've had a lot going on. So let's let's start with the, the notes. So I'm officially a Texas lawyer. Many of you knew that already. I was sworn in on May 14th. Uh, that was two days after our last episode. The next day, we did one of our charity fundraisers. We raised uh, $2,200 for a youth group who was rebuilding after tornado damage. Uh, we also had another fundraiser last month where we raised $4,200 for crayons to calculators. That is the group that normally we collect school supplies for, uh, but obviously because of the coronavirus, they were you know having to do a virtual supply drive this year. So we instead raised money for them, and then they can go buy supplies as they need. Uh, in terms of the production values, as I call it, for the podcast, that is slightly improving. We now have sound panels. Uh, if any of you happen to know Chris, who is at Omnipotent Slack on Twitter, uh, he donated some of his panels, and Chris, I thank you. Uh, the room is not yet sound dead, as we call it. You still probably will get a slight echo, uh, partly because I have an accent wall in my office that is just fucking beautiful. I love it. It is a nice fuchsia-colored wall, and you know, especially when I'm working in my office late, it gives the entire room just a warm glow, and I don't want to like besmirch that by putting sound panels up. Um, I still need to put some more, though, to reduce it a bit. But to my right, to my left, there are sound panels. Behind me, there's a whole bunch of sound panels. Above me, there are a whole bunch of sound panels on the ceiling. And then the uh, the echo takes long enough that it's not as bad as it typically is. So we're, we're still working on the production value, still amping that up a bit. Uh, but we got complaints for the episodes from when I moved into the office, so you know, January to May, folks were saying the echo is terrible. It should be less bad now. And hopefully Mike can, uh, you know, do his wizardry to fix the rest. Uh, the Twitch game night is still going on. So if you like Jackbox games, you're welcome to join us Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday nights from 9 to 11 p.m. It is my way of uh, unwinding. So please come by for that. And then, you know, explaining where I've been. So... We had our last episode beginning of May, as I mentioned. We had done fairly good in April. We had stuff out every week. Uh, and then I disappeared because at the time, I was trying to catch up on work. You know, I had mentioned that when everything shut down, the courts from March to April just blanket continued everything, no exceptions, because they were trying to, you know, we didn't know what was going on with the coronavirus, so they just shut everything down. Well, that bunched all of my stuff into May and June, so I was stressed out trying to juggle, you know, when you do litigation, you try to span out your cases so that ideally you're never in two places at the same time. And then you've got lag time in between major cases. So you've got time to prep. Uh, that schedule got completely fucked by the coronavirus stuff. So originally I only took a week off planning to get right back to it, had an outline done. So we're, we're going to talk a bit about some of the stats on that outline at the time. Uh, but then police happened to kill a guy named George Floyd. And 
uh, it was caught on video. A cop was kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Didn't move off of him. Checked to see if he had a pulse. Didn't feel one. Still didn't move. Didn't do CPR. Didn't call EMS. And this came after the killings of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. And you remember, we talked about those last two deaths on the podcast. And so when the video came out about George Floyd, you know, it's a, it's a mortifying video. But I honestly didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. You know, and I mean that in, a, in an activism sense. It's always a big a deal when the state kills somebody, in my opinion. Um, but I just figured there would be a few local protests and that would be the end of it. And initially, that's what it was. There were protests, but they were localized to Minneapolis. Uh, except what happened was that the cops overreacted and overreacted harshly. So a video came out where there are cops stationed from the top of the 3rd Precinct where there are people below them doing absolutely nothing but yelling. There's no objects being thrown or anything else. There's even a video of a guy dancing in the street, and they shoot him. They just go ahead and shoot at the protesters, shoot the guy dancing for no reason. That, in turn, led to more protests. That, in turn, led to more overreaction. And you ended up with this insane feedback loop to the point where the third precinct, where cops were on the roof shooting people doing nothing, was burned to the ground by the very protesters in Minneapolis. It also triggered a bunch of protests nationwide, which, as you can imagine, resulted in an orgy of police violence because that's what cops like to do. So rather than do a podcast that week, I spent a lot of time on Twitter and Facebook. I'm like, you know what? I got an idea. You know, everyone tells me when I post these stories on Facebook that it's just one bad apple. It's an exception. You know, they're not all like this. So I said, you know what, I'm going to take 10 of these examples and I'm going to put them in a Facebook post. That way you can't tell me it's one bad apple. At the very least, you got to tell me it's 10. And to try and make sure that when I go look for stuff in the archives for the podcast, I put the same 10 on Twitter because I searched through my old Twitter threads to figure out you know, what to add in in any given week. Well, on Facebook, you know, some people shared it, some people commented, but it really didn't get much of a, uh, a response because I think people knew that cops were going way the fuck overboard. Uh, well, on Twitter, a couple things happened. One, people were sending other angles of the same events. So like out of those first 10, you know, there's, for example, there's one where New York City cops pushed a woman to the ground, like shoved her head first into the curb, gave her a concussion. She started seizing on camera. And the initial response from the Glock sucker cop trolls was, well, you don't know what happened before that. You know, you don't know what happened before the camera started running. Well, fuck you, if not seconds later, someone sent me angle of the video of what happened before that <laughs> took place. And then a bunch of folks started sending other videos of more stuff from all over the country. So what started as 10 videos on Twitter by the end of the first day was close to 100. By the end of the first week was close to 200. Uh, and it's all in a thread. And it's almost all videos with very few exceptions. And that in turn led to another insane feedback loop where a bunch of people started tagging me. A bunch of people started sending me direct messages with videos. Uh, at the end of May, I had roughly 33,000 Twitter followers, give or take a few. Uh, I am currently at 133,000, give or take a few. So an increase of 100,000 followers, and that was in the span of less than a week. Uh, if you count everything that's happened on Twitter since our, I'm going to say our last episode, let's just do from May 30th to today, 
uh, 551.5 million Twitter impressions. Over 101,000 tweets, people tagging me. Uh, more DMs than I can count because there's no real counting mechanism for the DMs. I have to download the data and then run it through a, a spreadsheet. You know, at, at the last check, I was at 2,400 unread DMs. Um, and we peaked at like 3,000. I got it down to 2,000. And then as I was responding to people in the direct messages, God bless them. People, the people I responded to started sending me more stuff. So like it kept artificially <laughs> increasing the backlog because when someone DMs you, if they haven't DMs you before, it goes off on a queue on the side. Um, so as I'm, as you respond, they move to the queue on the left. I mean, I don't know if this is how y'all's app is set up, but I've got a left and right queue. Right is for people I've never talked to before. Left is for people I have. Uh, so as I'm moving people from the right queue to the left queue, you know, some of them are they know they notice that I respond and they send me more stuff, which is awesome because then it kind of helps with the curation. But you know, I went from waking up and it would be 51 video DMs to then waking up and now it's 150 video DM. Uh, it just, it, it created a, a, a mess. The, uh, the podcast account, we had 5,000 followers at the end of May. We're now at 16,000. Um, there's actually a lot of fake accounts too. I don't know if this is part of some, you know, state actor, but I went on a, a QAnon blocking spree where I just chain-blocked a bunch of the big QAnon accounts and all the people following the big QAnon accounts, and my follower count dropped by, like, uh, you know, 500. So I'm still doing that. So y'all are going to see the follower count kind of drop over time. I think I'm down 1,500 from the peak. We were at, like, 135,000 followers. And you can tell the the fake accounts because they got, like, the three stars in their name or they were just created within the past three months or they're, you know, old accounts that were dormant for 10 years and now suddenly are tweeting. Uh, it's easy to see the coordinated account activity scrolling my mentions now, whereas before it wasn't necessarily obvious. Um, so, it's, you know, it, it's been it's been bizarre. You know, I don't want to call it my own personal hell because it's not it's not that bad. But between, I mean, Twitter is basically unusable for me now as far as communicating with friends. Those of you that listen to the podcast, um, because I get so many tweets, I don't actually see when y'all send me stuff. I get so many DMs, there's no telling if I'm ever going to actually see it. Um, so it, it sucks. But then at the same time, it's also cool because, you know, now when we do our charity work, it'll actually, you know, we can reach more people. Uh, I don't know what the hell we're going to do for the, um, the food drive. That's going to be a mess. Uh, but anyhow, so this this Twitter thread is still ongoing. We call it the police brutality mega thread. Uh, we are somewhere in between 900 and 950 discrete instances of police brutality against protesters since May 27th. There are undoubtedly more that I haven't seen that are in the DMs I haven't opened. Uh, but what I started doing was that on a given day and time and location, I put all videos from that daytime location uh, under one number. And then a, uh, a professor in California, Jason Miller, I don't know if he's a listener, but if he is, you know, Jason, thank you. He took the thread and turned it into a Google sheet that you could sort and skim through. And then a bunch of other people started their own separate efforts, either compiling stuff directly or visualizing the data based off of Jason's sheet, because all this stuff just kind of like, you know, jacks into each other. So like ProPublica has a database you know, tackling some of the uh, the worst instances from that first week. And then it's a longitudinal tracker. So you can see if, 
you know, the, the department has announced the officer involved. There's been a discipline and all that. Check that out. Um, there's been a bunch of people that have done various heat maps, you know, showing the geography of it. Uh, Bellingcat, that group, is trying to pinpoint the exact locations within a city that some of the stuff has happened. Just a whole bunch of really, really friggin' cool journalistic stuff to put visuals to what has really been nonstop police violence for three months. You know, it's it's trimmed down a bit just because protests always die down over time. But the fact that this is still going on in September and it started the end of May, one is not what I was expecting, but then two is also very impressive. But of course, the catch with that is I'm not going to talk to you about the police brutality mega threat as far as the state-by-state criminal justice fuckery that I normally cover, because if I did, this episode would be days long, and my voice can only last but so much. So I think we've got like 21 stories today, give or take. These are not included in the list. They typically are not protester-related police violence. It's just normal run-of-the-mill police violence. Uh, So bear that in mind as you listen. If you want to know what's going on with the protester stuff, go to my Twitter account, check the pinned tweet. Uh, I had to put in one of the quick navigation threads like I did for the thread knot where every 50 videos, well, 50 incidents, because there's way more than 50 videos per chunk. As I've got little jump points where you can jump in because the thread's broken. The thread's been broken for, you know, like two weeks in. Um, but there's a lot. And of course, check out Jason's spreadsheet, which is also linked, which will allow you to jump to any given state, city. You can also, he has included my commentary, a lot of the videos he's put on YouTube. Um, it's all really, really nifty shit. All right. So before we get into any of the state by state stuff, and I want to, I want to briefly rant about politics. Um, make sure to follow the podcast account on Twitter. If you haven't already, it is at Fiskamall. That's at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. You can also leave a written comment on the website, fiskemall.com. That is F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L.com. And if you would like to be one of our patrons on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash fisk. That is slash F-S-C-K. To those of you who are already patrons, if you're at the certain tiers like the Law 140 lovers, I owe you an email where I can get your suggested topics for future Law 140s. Uh, we did have a corporate sponsor briefly. I sent them a message to let them know, you know, ad, asking what ad copy they wanted to include, uh, and they never responded. So if that's you, please check your Patreon messages because I want to know what you uh, what you would like me to include as the corporate sponsor. Uh, I also had to turn off that tier because I realized that you know things had changed pretty dramatically, and I was not putting out content like I had been in April, and I didn't want to, you know steer folks the wrong way where I'm taking their money and they're not giving them something for it. Uh, so check your patron Patreon messages. And if you're a new listener and you'd like to support us, that's the way to do it. It's patreon.com slash F-S-C-K. The money goes to pay our sound engineer, Mike the Sound Guy. It covers our uh, podcast hosting with Blueberry, our domain name with GoDaddy. Um, what else? Whatever other, basically, I try and run it so that the podcast doesn't cost me anything except time. That is the, uh, that's the end goal. All right, so in terms of politics, voting has already started in North Carolina. So if you are overseas, you are already able to vote electronically. 
If you have requested an absentee ballot, those have already gone out and you have been able to uh, return them. So we already have several hundred folks to vote. I cannot fucking wait to do it. I am voting a straight Democrat ticket, floor to ceiling, fuck the entire Republican Party, burn it to the ground, salt the earth beneath it. You know, there's been a, a very fierce political discussion among politics Twitter as to whether the Republican Party can be salvaged. You know, do you vote for a third party? Do you vote for Biden? Do you vote for Biden but vote for down-ballot Republicans or down-ballot Democrats? I am a firm believer that political parties learn absolutely no lessons until pain has been inflicted. So I will not be voting for any Republican under any circumstances, no matter what, because a lot of these people are fucking spineless scumbags who have done everything in their power to enable the Moscow Muppet to completely fuck up everything. And I cannot wait until all of this is done, and in January our national nightmare will be at an end, and we can focus on having bona fide political discussions again instead of having to deal with you know a crime family in the White House. Uh, for posterity, I am predicting that Joe Biden is going to end up with 300-plus electoral votes. I think the Dems are going to win most of North Carolina's statewide races. Governor Cooper has done fairly well, so he is going to be a firewall of sorts. I do think the Republicans are going to lose their majority in the state House, but they will probably keep it in the state Senate because those um, those districts are pretty well gerrymandered. And I can't help but laugh at the dumb shit Donald Trump is continuing to do in his desperation to get reelected. You know, he spoke to Bob Woodward. That was one of the big stories of this past week. Spoke to him about the coronavirus several times since February. And he's recorded in his own voice confessing that he knew the coronavirus was dangerous, knew it was going to be worse than the flu, but wanted to play it down anyway. So now we are, oh, I skipped over the coronavirus stats. That, that, Jesus. So actually I missed some personal stuff too, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So last episode, we had roughly 81,000 dead from the coronavirus, averaging 1,700 dead a day with that trending down. The last time I did this outline, we were at 158,000 dead with 1,100 dying a day with that trending up. So now, however many months later, we are at 198,000 dead. We're going to hit 200,000 this week. There's roughly 800 a day dying, and that trend is holding steady. It's not going up or down. So you have 800 Americans on average dying every single day from this disease that the president admitted was serious to a reporter, but then told the rest of us that it was not. So, of course, you know, a lot of people who, who are asked about what they think of Trump's performance thinks he's done a dog shit job. So Trump has been trying to talk about law and order in these protests. Well, when you look at the polls, it turns out that most voters trust Joe Biden more on issues of law and order. So he's making the issue about something else where voters still trust his opponent more anyway. And at the same time, I got to deal with all these dumbass trolls in my, my mentions trying to pretend like he's going to win. So I'm looking forward to the end of it. I hope all of you vote straight Democrat top to bottom. I hope all of you tell your friends to vote straight Democrat top to bottom. Because the fact is, if you get rid of Trump, but keep everyone who has enabled Trump for the past four years, Trumpism is going to continue. The only way you're going to be able to put it to an end is to just burn the entire fucking thing to the ground 
And that is my goal and objective for the next however many months. And if we're being honest with each other, it's probably going to be my objective even after that because of just how thoroughly he's fucked up the government response on the coronavirus. You know, my uh, my grandmother passed away the last Saturday in uh, August. You know, many of you who know me personally or have followed me online know that my grandparents raised me for pretty huge chunks of my life. Uh, they have had a huge imprint on the person that I became. And, you know, Nan has had Parkinson's for five years. She was trending down. You know, she's been in pretty ill health the past two years, has not been able to move on her own, can barely eat. So you're you're caught in that situation where it's like, okay, she's not suffering now, but at the same time, you hate that they're gone. We can't even do a funeral. You know, we can, we can have one technically because there's an exception to the coronavirus restrictions on funeral gatherings, but... The fact is the people who would show up are most at risk to contract it. So, you know, I'm not going to risk having them die to celebrate, you know, my grandmother's life. But you have someone who is 80 years old, has, has had a huge impact, at least among her family. And yet that 80 years has just been fucking extinguished and you can't do anything to commemorate it. Because if you do, there's a chance other people are going to die. You know, my grandfather's immunocompromised because he's got cancer. He can't have a memorial for his own wife who he was with for 60 something years, because if he does, he's likely to die from a fucking respiratory disease. You know, it's just outrageous. The, the president, I don't hate politicians as a general rule because I think hating people gives them power over you. But I despise Donald Trump and the people who have enabled him, the apparatus who has enabled him to continue to fuck up, the people who have decided not, okay, I'm going to pull you aside and and force you to course correct, but instead I'm going to enable you just to get progressively worse over the past four years, every single one of them needs to be voted out. Everyone who has helped him, everyone who has coasted on his fucking grift, you know, all the state level and local politicians who have tried to out Trump, Trump, every single one of these motherfuckers needs to be voted out of office. And the fact of the matter is, you know, I'm not a Democrat, not liberal by any stretch, but I'm in a spot where I'm probably going to dedicate most of my political time for the rest of my life to trying to fuck over these pseudo conservative numpties who have just completely fucked things up and think nothing of it because as long as they have power, who the fuck cares? Um, so I apologize for the rant. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> oh my, I'm really fucking salty about some of these people. All right, let, let's get into the criminal justice news. We start as we so often do with some of the circuit court opinions. I just got one. Usually it's bullshit qualified immunity. This week is no exception. Out of the Ninth Circuit, the court has given qualified immunity to a government social worker who sexually harassed and assaulted a woman who volunteered to become the legal guardian of her niece. I mean, this is just, it's fucking ridiculous. I'm going to read you some excerpts from that opinion. Uh, the court says, quote, Nadia Sampson volunteered to become the legal guardian of her niece, H.S., after her parents were incarcerated. Sampson alleges that throughout the process of applying for and obtaining legal guardianship of H.S., she was sexually harassed by a social worker assigned to her case. When Sampson complained about the harassment, the social worker and his supervisors retaliated against her. Uh, the social worker commented on Sampson's appearance and marital status, urging her to end her marriage, 
inappropriately touching her. I'm going to do a sidebar. That's assault, by the way. Uh, and attempting to coerce her into riding in his vehicle. Samson did not initially report the social worker's conduct, fearing it would negatively impact her case. In February of 2015, however, after several months of unwanted advances, Samson complained about the social worker's conduct to his supervisor, who replied that he was, subquote, one of her best social workers and the only one willing to work with HS's biological parents. The social worker's conduct continued the next month with the supervisor's permission. With the supervisor's permission, the social worker filed unsupported allegations that Samson was neglecting and abusing HS, prompting a county child protective services investigator to visit Samson's home on November 10th and 12th. That week, Samson emailed Donna Yokoyama, who's the assistant regional administrator for the Department of uh, Children and Family Services, to complain about the sexual harassment and the false accusations of abuse and neglect. Samson then took HS to Nevada for Thanksgiving. Meanwhile, DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services, petitioned for and received a warrant authorizing the removal of HS from Samson's care. However, the warrant was never executed and soon expired. But then it continues, quote, after the expired warrant, DCFS sought an order from the juvenile court to remove HS from Samson's care, again alleging without justification that Samson was abusing and neglecting HS. The court held a hearing on December 9th at which Samson successfully opposed the request to remove HS because DCFS could not show that Samson was abusing or neglecting HS. Nonetheless, DCFS was so determined to remove HS from Samson's care that it filed a petition for an extraordinary writ with the California Court of Appeal requesting a stay of the juvenile court's order. The Court of Appeal granted the petition and authorized DCFS to remove HS pending briefing. DCFS removed the girl two days later. On January 7th, after reviewing the merits of the petition, the California Court of Appeal vacated its stay order and returned HS to Samson's care. Realizing that DCFS's allegations of abuse and neglect leveled against Samson were unfounded. So, this woman volunteered to help take care of her niece. The government went out of its way to fuck her over because of the fact she would not fuck the social worker assigned to the case. That's the gist of what has happened here. That this guy who was assigned to the case wanted to get laid, she said no, and he and the people over him retaliated against her and her family. The court continues, quote, Samson sued the Los Angeles County Department of Children and Family Services and four individual employees thereof under 42 United States Code Section 1983, alleging sexual harassment and violation of the Equal Protection Clause, retaliation under the First Amendment, and other related constitutional claims. The district court granted qualified immunity to defendants on the 14th Amendment sexual harassment and First Amendment retaliation claims and dismissed all of the other claims. They get into the legalese on the 14th Amendment sexual harassment claim as follows, quote, Here, Samson complains that the social worker sexually harassed her by commenting on her appearance and marital status, urging her to enter marriage, inappropriately touching her, and attempting to coerce her into riding in his vehicle. The district court found the constitutional right not to be sexually harassed by public officials providing social services was not clearly established outside of the workplace or school contexts. Keep that in mind, okay? The district court found that your right not to be sexually harassed by government employees does not apply 
outside of the workplace or school context. So if a government employee shows up at your fucking house because they're a census worker or whatever, and they decide that they want to sexually harass you, you can't sue them because it's not clearly established they would be entitled to qualified immunity. This is the, this is the stupid fucking shit that the Supreme Court has fucking created. Court continues, quote, Although we reluctantly agree that this right was not clearly established at the time of the conduct, they've now gone, there's more, there's citations in there. They clearly establish it now. So theoretically now it's clearly established. Court continues, quote, although we find that Samson has plainly alleged a constitutional violation for purposes of analyzing qualified immunity, we must heed the Supreme Court's repeated admonitions, subquote, not to define clearly established law at a high level of generality because, subquote, doing so avoids the crucial question whether the official acted reasonably in the particular circumstances that he or she faced. Again, keep in mind, these are United States Supreme Court cases where the precedent is to avoid figuring out if government employees have broken the law, if they have violated your rights. Section 1983 was enacted by Congress explicitly so you could sue the government when they violate your rights. And now the Supreme Court has said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're going to create these new fancy tests to avoid you deciding whether or not that actually happened. The court continues, quote, Therefore, because we cannot find a case with sufficiently similar facts, we cannot say that Samson's right to be free from sexual harassment at the hands of a social worker was clearly established under the Supreme Court's impossibly high bar. Now, there's talk. I don't know if any of you follow attorney Gabriel Maylor on Twitter. He's at Gabriel Maylor. I'm a big fan, like the guy a lot. He notes correctly, I think, that that phrase, the Supreme Court's impossibly high bar, is the Ninth Circuit basically daring the Supreme Court to reverse them, to try and fix qualified immunity. I don't think they're going to do that. I think there's absolutely no chance the Supreme Court is going to fix it because they created the problem. And so now you have yet another circuit precedent that cements this, the entire fucked up everything about qualified immunity further cements it into law. So we need Congress to act. Qualified immunity needs to be abolished. I pray to God that it's something that can be done before I die. I doubt it. I'm skeptical. I think we're going to continue infantilizing government employees and protecting them from the consequences of their own bad decisions. But qualified immunity is just a really fucking noxious doctrine. And it enables shit like this. Uh, so we don't have any research stuff. I don't have any federal stuff except for the normal, you know, uh, ICE and other bullshit. So nothing in this particular outline. In the state-by-state -state criminal justice fuckery, though, some of this is just... Like, I, I get jaded after a while. You know, I really do. <laughs> it's like, you know, I've got one, two, three, four... Five. There are so many. What I do is when I set these up by state, remember we started doing them alphabetically by state so it was easier for other folks to follow along. And before I put quotes on the article, I put notes to myself as to whether or not you know the first rule of Fisk happens to apply or the third rule happens to apply. So much of this is, is tagged with first rule, first rule, first rule. And, and for those of you who are new, 
the, the rules of Fisk are aphorisms that I have pieced together over the years we have been doing this, where I just notice certain patterns in the outlines. You know, for example, the first rule is police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. And that's because in four years or three years, however long it's been, I can't tell you the number of times that stories have come out of police fucking up. And the only reason anyone knows about it is because it was caught on camera. You know, the second rule is start at the source, which is what we do when we're analyzing questions about constitutional and other law. Uh, the third rule is that there are no new stories, just new names and jurisdictions, because cops tend to keep fucking up in the exact same way. We have at least one of those in the outline today. Uh, the fourth rule is Baltimore specific. We say The Wire was a documentary because Baltimore does fuck up. Do I have any Maryland stuff in the outline? Hang on. I, I, the outline is big. We got 18 pages today. There's a lot go, to go through. I think I, I might have Maryland, but I'm not entirely sure. Maybe not. Um, and then the fifth rule is that when people say blue lives matter, they don't mean the dark blue ones. They will throw black and brown police officers under the bus in a fucking heartbeat if it enables them to get rid of a problem without holding other cops accountable for the same stuff. So those are the rules of Fisk. Uh, we're thinking about adding a sixth rule. It's almost official at this point. Cops are like a box of chocolates. They'll kill your dog. Uh, but those are the rules of Fisk. So we're going to start in Arizona, in Tempe, with a first rule of Fisk situation. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. And here, I'm just, it, it's really fucking stupid. Uh, from the article, it says, quote, A Tempe police officer is under investigation after the department says he held a black man at gunpoint while searching for a white suspect. According to a news release from the Tempe Police Department, Officer Ronald Kurzea responded to the Hawthorne Suites Hotel on August 29th for a report of a man with a gun. The manager of the hotel told Kurzea the suspect was a white man wearing a black t-shirt and tan pants. The manager said the suspect left out of the west side of the building. Kurzea then went to the west side of the building to search for the suspect. That's when a black employee wearing a light gray shirt and black pants was exiting the building and identified himself as an employee. Grisaia then held the man at gunpoint, subquote, until he could confirm that he was an employee of the hotel, the press release states. The black employee is heard on the body camera footage repeatedly saying, subquote, I'm not a threat to you. I work here, while kneeling on the ground with his hands up. Grisaia then releases the employee and continues to search for the suspect with the gun. The suspect was never found. Tempe police say that during a review of the incident, the department became concerned about how Kurzaya handled the incident and placed him in an administrative role until the investigation is complete. Subquote, this incident was not handled in accordance with the professionalism and respectful behavior that we and the public have for our officers, the press release states. Body-worn camera footage released by the Tempe Police Department shows Kurzaya holding the man at gunpoint for three minutes while he confirmed with dispatch that the man was an employee at the hotel. It's so fucking dumb. That's, that's just a, that's a minor part. Oh, sorry, it continues. I have more of the quote on the next page. Kurzaya is heard on the footage telling the black employee, I am responding to somebody with a firearm who matches your description. Even though just two minutes earlier on the same footage, Kurzaya confirms with the hotel manager that the suspect with the gun was a white man. Dude's got the attention span of a fucking goldfish and has no business having a gun. Uh, so that's how we start off. If that gives you a hint of what to expect for the rest of this episode. Let's go over to California where uh, we have some, you know, casual corpse fondling 
to give you an idea of what to expect. Uh, yes, corpse, as in a dead woman. Officer decided to grope a dead body's breasts for sport. Uh, from that story in Los Angeles, it says, quote, A Los Angeles Police Department officer accused of fondling a dead woman's breasts was arrested Thursday and charged, officials said. David Rojas was taken into custody by the Internal Affairs Division after the District Attorney's Office charged the Central Division officer with a felony violation of the state safety codes covering sexual actions with human remains. Rojas and his partner responded to a call about a possible dead woman in a residential unit. Once the two officers determined the woman was dead, Rojas's partner returned to the patrol car to retrieve something. During that time, Rojas turned off his body-worn camera and fondled the woman's breasts. Although the officer deactivated the camera, a two-minute buffer on the device captured the incident. The department is also investigating the officer's work history. Now note, this is both a first and third rule situation because longtime listeners might remember that a few years back, Baltimore police got caught repeatedly planting drugs, and the only reason they were caught on video is because of these buffers on the body cams. So these guys still haven't figured out yet if you're going to break the law, you know, be smarter about it. Um, we also have another story about them doing shit for it. Oh, it's also in California. It's the very next story. Never mind. Lots of dead bodies and, and you know, cops doing shit to dead people uh, in Orange County. Another first rule of Fisk situation. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. From that story, it says, quote, An Orange County Sheriff's deputy has been arrested on suspicion of burglary, the department said Thursday. Deputy Steve Hortz, a 12-year veteran of the department, responded on July 20th at a Yorba Linda home after a man in his 70s died of apparent natural causes. On September 9th, an attorney representing the family estate called the department to report items missing from the home. The attorney provided surveillance video that captured Hortz making unauthorized entrance to the residence on at least three occasions and exiting with stolen property. In the first incident, Hortz returned to the home July 27th and broke into the unoccupied residence through the rear, left a short time later. It was unclear if Hortz, who was in uniform at the time, left with any property from the home then. Hortz then returned on the mornings of August 10th and 16th in civilian clothes and allegedly removed items including weapon safes, ceiling fans, and cases containing unknown items. He is facing three felony charges and one misdemeanor charge. So just know that if you die, the police will burgle your shit. Uh, also in Orange County, seven Orange County deputies who serve as Army reservists as well uh, falsely reported that they had been called to serve the military and collected paid leave from the department, the Sheriff's Department said Friday. Federal authorities are now investigating the allegations, which surfaced in January when supervisors noticed a discrepancy in military orders submitted by a deputy assigned to the jails, OC sheriff's officials said in a news release. An internal investigation determined the orders were false, the deputy was placed on administrative leave, and then the department reviewed orders submitted by all Army reservists in its ranks, discovering another six employees suspected of submitting false military orders and collecting paid time off. One of the deputies has been released on probation, while the other six are on administrative leave pending the federal criminal investigation, the department said. Now think about this. If they're going to lie about something that obvious... What else will they lie about? Just mull that over. Think about it. Let me know. Uh, in Connecticut, in Bridgeport, the police chief has resigned for fraud. From that story, it says, quote, 
Bridgeport's police chief has resigned, the mayor said, after allegations he and the city's acting personnel director conspired to rig the 2018 chief search and then lied to the FBI about it, according to a federal complaint filed Thursday. Armando Perez, the former police chief, and David Dunn were both charged with wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and lying to the FBI. Mayor Joe Gannon, in a video posted on Twitter late Thursday afternoon, said Perez had resigned as chief. Gannon said he will appoint assistant police chief Rebecca Garcia as acting chief to lead the department. Garcia is the subject of a pending lawsuit contesting her qualifications to be assistant chief. Trial in that case is scheduled to begin next month in Superior Court. The complaint against Perez paints a picture of him as desperate to be appointed permanent police chief, but frustrated because he was unable to fill out the application on his own and answer the exam questions. It states he convinced Dunn to help him and two officers, including one who resigned from the department because of racist emails, to write his application and provide him with draft answers for the test. According to the complaint, on an October 17, 2018 phone call between Dunn and one of the interview panelists, subquote, Dunn stated that the mayor wanted Perez to be in the top three. Panelist one understood Dunn to be asking panelist one to score Perez higher and slash or to influence other panelists to do the same. Mayor Ganim had to pick a police chief from those top three qualified candidates. Dunn later denied to the FBI that anybody tried to influence the panelists on Perez's behalf. Bear in mind, this is after they've got the phone calls. The complaint states that Perez, after being told of the allegations against him, spent hours telling FBI agents that it wasn't true, even though they had recordings of him telling officers to get him the prepared answers for the exam. Uh, So that was up in Connecticut, down in Florida, in Pasco County, Uh, The sheriff apparently thinks the movie Minority Report was actually a documentary. From there, it says, quote, Pasco County Sheriff Chris Nacco took office in 2011 with a bold plan to create a cutting-edge intelligence program that could stop crime before it happened. I'm going to do a sidebar. The computer scientist in me is screaming right now because such a system is not fucking possible. It can't be done. Uh, Story continues, quote, what he actually built was a system to continuously monitor and harass Pasco County residents, a Tampa Bay Times investigation has found. First, the sheriff's office generates lists of people it considers likely to break the law based on arrest histories, unspecified intelligence, and arbitrary decisions by police analysts. Then it sends deputies to find and interrogate anyone whose name appears, often without probable cause, a search warrant, or evidence of a specific crime. They swarm homes in the middle of the night, waking families and embarrassing people in front of their neighbors. They write tickets for missing mailbox numbers and overgrown grass, saddling residents with court dates and fines. They come again and again and again, making arrests for any reason they can. One former deputy described the directive like this, subquote, make their lives miserable until they move or sue. In just five years, NACO's signature program has ensnared almost a thousand people. And there's a lot more in the story. I'm going to give you the link in the show notes. But one number that jumped out to me uh, is, quote, at least one in 10 were younger than 18, the Times found. So these police are using this fake bullshit algorithmic minority port pre-crime fuckery to harass children. You know, when you pair that with all of our past stories 
of kitty diddlers and child rapists and other folks working in police departments, it does make me wonder what is going on down in Pasco County, Florida. Uh, so that was in Florida. Over in Georgia, we got a pair of stories in Clayton County, another first rule of Fisk situation. From that story, it says, quote, the Clayton County Sheriff's Office said it launched an internal investigation Friday night after distressing videos circulated on social media of an arrest. The deputy in the videos, who is not named by the sheriff's office, is now on administrative leave pending the outcome of that investigation. Signage in one of the videos indicates it happened outside a Georgia Department of Public Health Vital Records office in Clayton County, just south of I-285 and Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport. At least two different angles of the arrest were caught in separate videos, which show two white deputies arresting a black man. In the video shot from a closer angle, the deputies can be seen pinning the man down, with one appearing to have him in a hold around his neck. A wider shot of the arrest shows the second deputy punching the man in the midsection multiple times. A short moment later, both videos show the deputy punching him up around his head. And in an especially unsettling moment, in the close shot video, the man can be heard saying, subquote, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I can't breathe. A distraught woman recording can be heard screaming, no, don't kill him. He said he can't breathe. Just after that, the man's leg appears to shake uncontrollably and his arm goes limp. That video then shows the deputies getting off the man who appears to have lost consciousness and is bleeding from his nose. So there's more to the news story as well as the videos. The videos look worse than it sounds. And the reason why they beat the shit out of him is because him and his kids were in an Uber. They pulled over the Uber driver for like a busted taillight or some shit and demanded that the passenger provide ID and the passenger appropriately told them to go fuck himself because he wasn't suspected of a crime. So the white deputy said, we're going to put you in your place for being uppity and beat the everlasting shit out of him on camera. So I was in Clayton County, Georgia, over in Henry County. <laughs> so this is another court case, but because it's at the district level, we put it in the state-by-state -state news where... They, they've again given qualified immunity to these infant cops who can't do their fucking job. Uh, from that story, it says, quote, Henri Norris was watching the news when the explosion went off inside his home. Subquote, something went off like a bomb in my house. The now 81-year-old remembered from the February 8, 2018 raid on the home he has owned for half a century. It was the Henry County Sheriff's Office special response team smashing down his door with a battering ram. The explosion Norris heard was a flashbang grenade that the dynamic entry teams used to disorient their targets. But Norris wasn't the target of the raid. Deputies had the wrong man and the wrong house. The no-knock search warrant signed by a Henry County magistrate was for the house next door. The warrant obtained by The Reveal, which is the, uh, the uh, journalist that got this, uh, the warrant obtained by the Reveal investigative team shows a detailed description of the target address, including information about the suspected drug dealer living next to Norris's house. Now, I'm going to note, we've seen, and this is included in the story, they've got like five different body camera angles. The drug dealer living next to Norris's house, this is all a, a rural area. There's a lot of fucking space. I don't know how the fuck they got these two confused. Um, the warrant described an off-white house with a black roof. Norris's house is yellow with a gray roof. The houses had separate driveways, separate addresses, and separate mailboxes. Yet the heavily armed, camouflage-clad Henry County SRT deputies walked right past the target house without even clearing it 
and charged through a tree line straight to Norris's back door. The reveal obtained eight complete helmet camera videos that were provided to Norris as part of his lawsuit against the deputies. Once they realized they had the wrong man, the deputies turned off their cameras one by one, but some remained in Norris's house after the mistake was discovered. Norris said the deputies told him they would leave and he would be released, only if he agreed to sign a piece of paper they put in front of the handcuffed 79-year-old. Subquote, so I signed my name on there, Norris said. I didn't get a chance to read it. Attorney Daryl Scott filed a lawsuit on behalf of Norris against the deputies who had laid siege to his home without a warrant. Subquote, a pizza delivery man could have delivered pizza to the correct address, Scott said, describing the lack of due diligence the deputies showed. The primary defendant named in the lawsuit was the tactical commander, but a federal judge dismissed the case against him and the other deputies, ruling all law enforcement officers are protected by qualified immunity. Norris and Scott have now filed an appeal with the 11th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. So you can now show up to the wrong house, break down the door, flashbang somebody, arrest them, because that's what happens when you're put in handcuffs, only release them if they agree to sign a waiver without giving them a chance to read it. And when you get sued, you will be protected by qualified immunity. That is the state of American policing today. Uh, down in Louisiana, the floor-to-ceiling clusterfuck of criminal justice. I will say, uh, keep them in your thoughts and prayers because Hurricane Sally is going to be a mess. I got a lot of friends down in Louisiana, and even though their justice system sucks, I still love them. Uh, so we will start in Lafayette. With the first rule of Fisk, again, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they are being recorded. From that story, it says, quote, Police in southern Louisiana put one officer on leave, removed two more from regular duty, and launched an internal probe of their confrontation with two black teens, officials said Thursday. Bystander video appeared to show at least one officer throwing punches as Lafayette police handcuffed a young black male Saturday night at the Acadian Lanes bowling alley. It wasn't immediately clear what happened before the video showed punches being thrown. Officers initially came to the scene answering calls that a person was in the parking lot with a gun, but they left after finding no one matching the description, Lafayette Police Sergeant Wayne Griffin told local media outlets. Police did not identify the young men involved, but attorney Ronald S. Haley Jr. said in a statement that his two clients, 16-year-old twins Gerard and Jabari Celestin, were the ones confronted by police. The responding officers handcuffed Jabari as he and his brother were waiting outside to enter the bowling alley and observing COVID-19 safety measures. Subquote, when officers arrived, they immediately handcuffed Jabari and read him his rights, Haley said in the statement. At that time, Gerard inquired with the police as to why his brother was being arrested. In response, officers pushed Gerard to the ground and began brutally beating him, as evidenced by the videos of the encounter. Gerard was charged with interfering with a police investigation, resisting arrest, and battery of a police officer, while his brother Jabari was released without charges. Neither twin was armed. And I'm going to note, as is so often the case, the video of this incident is actually worse than the write-up. It's worse than it sounds. In New Orleans, uh, we have yet another unhinged cop getting arrested. From there, it says, quote, The New Orleans Police Department arrested one of its own sergeants on Thursday night after a woman accused him of pointing a gun at her during a road rage incident on the edge of, is it Treme? T-R-E-M-E. You know, Louisiana has weird pronunciations. I'm going to assume that's Treme. Um, but after I mispronounced Chapatulis that one time, I try not to pronounce Louisiana towns incorrectly. 
Uh, Robert Blanchard, 48, faces one count of aggravated assault with a firearm. The NOPD suspended Blanchard pending the outcome of an internal investigation, a statement from the agency said Friday. According to records filed in Orleans Parish Criminal Court, a woman flagged down officers near the corner of North Broad Street and Lafitte Avenue and says she had been, quote, in a road rage incident with a man who pulled up behind her vehicle in a black Ford Expedition and pointed a pistol at her outside his front windshield. The woman said she saw the gun a second time when the man in the expedition drove past her and she tailed him a short distance in an attempt to snap a picture of his license plate with her cell phone. The woman said she stopped when she saw the officers and flagged them down to report the encounter. Officers pulled the expedition over a few blocks away and saw Blanchard in the driver's seat. He had his police department issued handgun, which matched the description of the weapon that he was accused of pointing at the other driver. Uh, More on that story. We'll give you a link in the show notes. Let's uh, head over to Michigan, where we have a story of prosecutors behaving badly in Macomb County. That story says, quote, already facing corruption charges, former Macomb County prosecutor Eric Smith pleaded guilty Wednesday to new federal charges of obstructing justice in an investigation of how he spent campaign donations. The embattled ex-prosecutor admitted in a plea agreement that he told three people, two assistant prosecutors and a friend, to lie when questioned by federal authorities about his use of campaign funds. The charges were announced Wednesday afternoon by U.S. Attorney Matthew Schneider. Schneider, whose office has overseen a number of corruption investigation cases in southeast Michigan in recent years, said the Smith case, subquote, was even more troubling because it involved the chief law enforcement official for the state's third largest county. Smith, 53, of Macomb Township, faces up to 20 years in a federal prison for the obstruction of justice charge. Now, I'm going to note, he doesn't actually face that long. The uh, U.S. sentencing guidelines are very complicated. What the media reports are the statutory maximums that are in the statute. They don't match at all. He'll be lucky to get a year, I'd imagine. Uh, He has been in office since 2004 and would have been up for re-election this year. The charge was based on an FBI investigation that revealed from 2012 and 2020, Smith conducted two fraud schemes to steal approximately $75,000 in cash from his political campaign fund, known as the Committee to Elect Eric J. Smith Prosecutor, to use for his own personal expenses. Donors to the fund were led to believe the cash would be used on campaign expenses. Then, when he became aware of a federal grand jury investigation in 2019, Smith began imploring witnesses to lie and commit perjury on his behalf to federal authorities and a federal grand jury, according to the court records. The documents do not name which two assistant prosecutors are or Smith's friend. Uh, So, yeah, that's in Michigan. Over in New Jersey, in Neptune City. We have a jailer falsifying records to hide the fact that he pepper sprayed somebody for no reason. From that story, it says, quote, a Neptune City man who was a senior correctional police officer was charged Thursday with tampering of public records after authorities said he falsely reported the use of pepper spray against an inmate. Giovanni Galindo, 32, of Neptune City, was charged with third-degree conspiracy to tamper with public records or information, according to a news release from the Attorney General's office. Now, I'm going to note, you will find out in this story that this guy randomly pepper-sprayed somebody for shits and giggles. Doesn't get charged with that. He only gets charged with falsifying the records. How we treat people in prison in this country is a fucking travesty. Uh, On June 16th, 
Galindo confronted an inmate at Mid-State Correctional Facility in Wrightstown who was sitting down and pepper sprayed the inmate in the face without any apparent reason, according to a joint investigation by the New Jersey Department of Corrections Special Investigations Division and the Attorney General's Office of Public Integrity and Accountability. After the incident, Galindo filed a special custody and use of force report, and in those reports, he stated the inmate, subquote, ignored an order, became argumentative, and verbally threatened him, which prompted Galindo to pepper spray the inmate. Authorities said Galindo's statements in the reports are false, and his use of force against the inmate was not authorized under the Department of Corrections' use of force policy, but they won't charge him with that. I will leave that to you to ask why. Uh, Over in North Carolina, my home state, in Raleigh, a jurisdiction where I practice regularly about drug stuff, the thing I do. Uh, Well, I don't do drugs. I represent drug users and drug sellers, street pharmacists as we call them. Uh, We have a Raleigh cop who has been suspended because he fabricated evidence in over a dozen cases. From that story, it says, quote, a veteran Raleigh police detective is off the job while the department and the Wake County District Attorney investigate more than a dozen fraudulent drug cases. Some people sat in jail for weeks and months based on evidence that turned out to be fake. The police officer who headed the investigation was once celebrated by the department as one of its best, but now he's under investigation himself. Wake County DA Lauren Freeman said that, subquote, concerns were first raised near the end of February, but took several more months to determine the evidence was not real. According to court documents obtained by ABC 11, the outlet that's reporting this, uh, between 12 and 15 defendants were all charged with trafficking heroin starting in December 2019 through May 2020. The suspects were arrested and held in the Wake County Detention Center on bonds of up to a quarter million dollars. But most, maybe all of the defendants, were framed. The Raleigh Police Detective in each case is Omar Abdullah. The Raleigh Police Department would not provide a photo, but says Abdullah is an 11-year veteran, a member of the department's drug unit, and the 2013 Raleigh Police Employee of the Year. Abdullah was paying a confidential informant who promised to tip off officers of Raleigh uh, to Raleigh heroin dealers. Instead, the informant returned with videos and audio recordings of drug buys with critical clips missing and a substance that lab tests revealed months later wasn't drugs at all. After some suspects spent months behind bars, the district attorney's office began dismissing most of the cases. This, this is policing in a nutshell. I mean, this is the type of dumb shit that happens every day. You know, paying a snitch, a snitch is going to make shit up to get paid. That's the reality of it. That's why paid snitches are so common, but also one of the first things that defense attorneys focus on if there's a CI, confidential informant. But what gets me is the the critical clips missing from the videos. Like if you how do you not pick up on that? You know, this guy has been doing this since December through May. Five months, and you don't notice that there's stuff missing, or you did notice and you just didn't fucking care. And if I had to put my money on it, I'm going to say it's the latter, but either way, you shouldn't be a cop. You're either too inept to do the job, or you're knowingly perjuring. That, that's the reality of it. There's no in-between. You're either going to get arrest warrants based on evidence you know is fraudulent, or you're so fucking inept, you don't notice that you don't have evidence to convict them. I mean, that's just what it is. I'm not going to blame him for arresting people for stuff that didn't turn out to be heroin. Because the fact is, the drug war, we have so many things to test. 
that the state crime lab is always backed up trying to get stuff tested. Always. Happens on every single case I've had where we've had to deal with the test. It takes fucking forever to get the drugs back. That's fine. But you get the video right away. When you're the arresting officer and you're piecing this shit together, you get the video right away. You will notice if clips are missing. You'll notice if there are cuts in time. You know, I stress out on this fucking podcast because I want to make sure that whenever Mike cuts something, it flows smoothly so the cuts aren't obvious. And even then, I can still tell when I listen back to it when stuff is missing. You know? So I'm just, uh, anyhow. And again, the, the added hoot is that this guy was one of their employees of the year. You know, I'm just, I really, really hate how we do policing in this country. Uh, in Oklahoma, we got two stories. One in Oklahoma City where cops beat the shit out of a 74-year-old grandmother for sport. From that story, it says, quote, A 74-year-old grandmother claims Oklahoma City police officers broke her arm and used extreme aggressive force on her while arresting her son. Ruby Jones told Coco 5 that she didn't interfere with the arrest of her son at all, aside from asking if the officers had a search warrant. She claims she ended up being handcuffed by two officers who carried her off where her feet weren't even touching the ground. Police said they were there for Jones's son, who had allegedly just called in a bomb threat at a mental facility where he used to be a patient. Subquote, he's bipolar, Jones said. But when she asked to see a warrant, she said the officers, subquote, said no and pushed me out of the way. Jones added the officers drew their guns toward her son. Police officials confirmed Jones was detained and handcuffed, but did not provide more details. I'm going to do as a sidebar. The fact they confirmed that part means the rest of this shit is true, too. They just don't want to admit it because it will be used against them in a civil lawsuit. Uh, police said they won't release body camera video until they're finished with the investigation. Right now, none of the officers involved are on leave. Coco 5 obtained a form of the police report, but the entire incident with Jones was not mentioned at all. Police said that's in another report that they're not releasing yet. Again, they know they're going to get sued, and they're trying to cover their ass ahead of time. Jones was let go at the scene and was not charged with a crime. Uh, in Tulsa, on March 21st, 2020, officers responded to a suspicious person inside a car near 31st and the Broken Arrow Expressway around 1.15 in the morning. Officer Aaron Russell spoke to the man inside the vehicle, later identified as Michael Delaney, and allegedly noticed a pistol behind the center console. He informed other officers at the scene and started telling Delaney to get out of the vehicle. Delaney ignored the commands and refused to get out of the car. Russell opened the driver's door and tried to pull him out of the vehicle. Delaney then started driving away, with Russell still leaning in the vehicle. As he was driving away, Russell fired multiple shots at Delaney, hitting him in once in the upper left shoulder. Delaney hopped out of the car and was found several blocks away, hiding under a house. He was initially arrested for possession of firearm by a felon, assault with a deadly weapon, one felony warrant, and three misdemeanor warrants for unspecified charges. After reviewing the in-car video and body camera video, detectives determined the evidence did not support the initial belief that officers were, quote, assaulted with a vehicle. I'm, I'm, note how they go out of their way to word that so politely. The evidence did not support the initial belief. They lied. They fucking lied about what happened. Also, the firearm was apparently an air gun. Charges against Delaney were immediately amended. Later in court, Delaney pleaded guilty to obstructing the officer. That's it. So again, we have possession of a firearm by a felon, assault with a deadly weapon, 
one felony warrant and three misdemeanor warrants on unrelated charges. And all he pleads to is obstruction because he didn't fucking do anything else. Tulsa Police Chief Wendell Franklin and District Attorney Steve Kunzweiler reviewed the investigation once it was completed and determined it should be presented to the Oklahoma multi-county grand jury. The grand jury responded with an indictment against Officer Russell for misdemeanor reckless handling of a firearm. Russell has been on administrative leave since the shooting in March, and he will remain on leave until the case is complete. Uh, Over in Pennsylvania, we have the first rule of Fisk again. Police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. And this is another one where the video looks worse than the write-up. It says, quote, a Pittsburgh police officer pulled out his taser on a man outside the Squirrel Hills Farmer's Market on Sunday. Police arrested Daniel Hulk, accusing him of defying a police officer's orders after an argument over a mask. Police said Hulk approached Officer Paul Abel to tell the police officer his mask was disrespectful. Court paperwork said the mask was an American flag with a blue line, an image associated with Blue Lives Matter, a pro-police movement in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm going to note how that's written. Being a police officer is not a fucking skin color, you fucking numpties. So yes, he had on a thin blue line mask. Guy said it's disrespectful. Officer beats the shit out of him. Uh, Story continues, quote, Abel reportedly asked Hulk to move because he believed he was blocking an exit to the farmer's market. I'm going to note that's false. This is debunked by the video. The two then get into an argument and Abel arrests him. In the video, a crowd questioned the officer about the arrest. The officer responded that Hulk was being disrespectful and shouts very loudly that he's being arrested for failure to disperse, even though he's under no fucking obligation to disperse. The cop looks totally unhinged. So we will give you a link to the story, which includes the video. You can judge for yourself. This guy's fucking nuts. Uh, Over in Tennessee, in Nashville, this is a political situation from our It Takes Money to Make Money files. Uh, where Tennessee politicians are taking more than a quarter million dollars of federal coronavirus money to use it to hire more cops. Like, there's... People are just fucking stupid. And in some states, some politicians are dumber than others. From that story, it says, quote, Tennessee will funnel $300,000 of federal coronavirus relief money to help cover the cost of 90 additional police cadet scholarships as part of Governor Bill Lee's initiative to strengthen policing. The announcement comes as advocates across the nation have called for systemic reforms to policing, including redirecting money to build the capacity of first responders to handle mental health crises and other community needs. Instead, Lee on Thursday touted the recommendations that his top administration officials drafted with input from law enforcement groups. So, quote, through this partnership, our state has created one of the most comprehensive and collaborative law enforcement advancements in recent Tennessee history, while also working to recruit top-tier talent to our force, Lee said in a statement. There's more to the story. I'm not going to bother reading it because it's painfully fucking stupid. But I'm going to note, COVID-19 has killed more cops in 2020 than all other causes of death combined. You know, we've criticized the stats on officer deaths, the Officer Down Memorial Project and shit like that, how they're always juiced anyway. But even under their juiced numbers, COVID has killed more police than everything. And they list it. They list COVID-19 as a cause of death. So you're taking money to that's intended to save lives. It will save cops' lives if you get COVID-19 under control. And rather than using it to save cops' lives, you're instead hiring more cops who are going to die of COVID-19. The governor's a fucking moron. 
but, you know, politicians want to keep the money flowing from court costs and fines so they don't have to worry about raising taxes. That's how it goes. Uh, that's in Tennessee. Over in Texas, we've got a few different cases here. Uh, we have the first rule of Fisk in Houston where a guy was reported as being suicidal, so the police said challenge accepted and fucking murdered his ass. Uh, from that story, it says, quote, the Houston Police Department on Thursday fired four officers involved in the fatal shooting of a 27-year-old man in April and released body camera footage of the confrontation after months of scrutiny by investigators and calls for transparency from protesters. The man, Nicholas Chavez, was shot dead by the police on April 21st. The next day, the department said it was investigating the shooting and gave an account of what happened that was quickly challenged by Mr. Chavez's family and protesters, especially after cell phone video recorded by a bystander emerged. On Thursday, Chief Art Acevedo of the Houston Police Department announced that four of the five officers who fired a total of 24 rounds during the encounter had been fired. Of those 24 shots... Three fired by two of the officers were deemed to have been, subquote, objectively reasonable, the chief said. Those shots were followed by 21 more shots fired by four of the officers, Chief Afizado said at a news conference where he showed the footage from the officers' body cameras. Disciplinary memorandums released by the department on Thursday afternoon identified the four officers as Sergeant Benjamin LeBlanc and officers Luis Alvarado, Omar Tapia, and Patrick T. Rubio. The department said in a statement on April 22nd that officers had responded to a suicide in progress call when they approached a man in southeast Houston. Subquote, he charged at them with a pointed object in his hand. In the 47-second cell phone video taken from a bystander, the man can be seen near two police cars. Two shots ring out. The man falls on the ground. So bear in mind, those 21 shots that were objectively unreasonable, they did that after this guy is on the ground dying from being shot the first time. So, quote, I don't know what it is that they're shooting him with. A bystander can be heard saying the man on the ground moves his arms towards something nearby. And then the officers fire more than a dozen more shots. A total of 22 slugs and fragments were recovered from Mr. Chavez's body. Chief Acevedo said in Williamson County. Another first rule of Fisk situation, this time cops decided to beat the shit out of a domestic violence victim when she said she didn't want their help. From that story, it says, quote, the young woman who answered her apartment door in an oversized ACDC t-shirt had scratch marks on her neck, but she insisted she was fine when a Williamson County, Texas sheriff's deputy responded to the call of a concerned neighbor about possible domestic violence. Her boyfriend was gone, the woman assured the deputy. She made clear she wanted nothing to do with the police. So, quote, I do not want to talk to you, especially Williamson County, the 20-year-old said in body camera footage. Y'all have a really bad reputation. I do not want to deal with you. Moments later, without provocation, Deputy Lorenzo Hernandez grabs the young woman. As she screams, he threatens to use his taser. He and two other deputies slam her to the ground and handcuff her while they search her home. The violent escalation of what should have been a routine law enforcement interaction is just the latest in a string of aggressive encounters by Williamson County Sheriff's deputies that have come to light amid an ongoing investigation by the Austin American Statesman, part of the USA Today Network. 
work. Other incidents recently exposed by the newspaper include the March 2019 tasing death of black father of two, Javier Ambler, during a traffic stop and several dangerous high-speed pursuits launched over minor traffic infractions. The troubling pattern coincides with the agency's 11-month partnership with A&E reality show Live PD, during which television crews filmed Williamson County deputies as they patrolled the streets, made arrests, and interacted with the public. The show was canceled two days after The Statesman and KVUE-TV first reported the details of Ambler's death, where I'm going to note, we don't have that story in the the, uh, outline here, but they destroyed evidence of police killing him, and they withheld other evidence of police killing him to accommodate the show. That's how fucked up this situation was. Uh, Life PD wasn't filming the domestic violence incident, although Hernandez was one of the show's stars, but it was captured from multiple angles on body camera footage recently obtained by the statesman. It is also one of five use of force cases currently under investigation by the Texas Rangers and by local prosecutors. The incident is particularly troubling because it involved not a dangerous suspect, but an alleged victim accused of no crime, according to Texas law enforcement experts who viewed the footage at the request of the newspaper. Domestic violence advocates say they were horrified that the deputies also scolded the woman for what happened. That behavior, they said, only makes it harder to persuade victims to trust police enough to report abuse. Subquote, understand the circumstances y'all put yourselves in and you make us have to deal with those issues, Officer Hernandez told the woman after deputies unlatched the handcuffs. A former department sergeant told the statesman that he flagged the case to supervisors, but was initially treated adversarially. In a statement this week, the department's chief deputy said that Hernandez's handling of the incident, subquote, was not in keeping with the high standards of the sheriff's office. Sheriff Robert Chody, who has praised Hernandez publicly, suspended him for a day after an internal affairs investigation of the incident. Two months later, he promoted Hernandez. So in Texas, cops will beat the shit out of domestic violence victims and then give them a promotion and a pat on the back. Uh, Then in Utah, our last uh, case for this week in Glendale, police just fucking blew away a kid. A woman called saying her son was having a mental health breakdown and asked for a dedicated team that's supposed to deal with mental health emergencies and cops show up and just repeatedly shoot him. From that story, it says, quote, a 13-year-old autistic boy is still recovering in the hospital after getting shot several times by police on Friday night in Glendale. Lyndon Cameron had injuries to his shoulder, both ankles, intestines, and bladder, according to his mother, Golda Barton. As an officer-involved shooting, investigation is underway with the Salt Lake City Police Department. That's not a complete sentence, but there's a, there's a shooting investigation. Uh, Barton said she was the one who called the police and asked for a crisis intervention team, a CIT. She said her son, who has Asperger's, was having a mental breakdown. She explained to the CIT that her son was having that breakdown and needed to be transported to the hospital for treatment. It was the first day Barton had returned to work in almost a year because she can't be away from her son. Subquote, he has bad separation anxiety, she explained. On the phone with officers, Barton told officers the best way to approach her son, and they've got some of the 911 call footage. Uh, She says, quote, I said he's unarmed. He doesn't have anything. He just gets mad and he starts yelling and screaming. He's a kid. He's trying to get attention. He doesn't know how to regulate. Story continues, quote, she said she was to stay while the two officers went through the front door of the home. But less than five minutes later, 
She heard some, quote, get down on the ground, and then several gunshots were heard. She thought her son was dead, and the officers didn't immediately say if he was or was not dead. They handcuffed him, according to Barton. And again, we've, we've talked about this before. They like to shoot people until they're not moving and then put handcuffs on instead of CPR. It is part of the customary cover your ass, making it seem like they're a threat when they're not. Uh, additionally, she said she heard from someone that the other officer could be seen grabbing his own head in disbelief for what had happened. He said out loud, subquote, he's just a child. What are you doing? SLCPD said police were called to the area for a report of a, subquote, violent psych issue involving the juvenile, subquote, having a mental episode and making threats to some folks with a weapon. Yet Sergeant Horrocks with the SLCPD did not say whether a weapon was located. He said he knew of no indication that there was a weapon found, but didn't know for sure. So, I don't, that's just one of those things where it's like, where is this report of a weapon coming from? It's not in the 911 call. And the sergeant didn't say one was located and said he had no indication there was a weapon, but didn't know for sure. It's all bullshit. They're trying to cover their ass. They fucked up. And now they're going to fucking smear a 13-year-old kid with a mental health condition because it will make them look better, they think. Uh, So, folks, that is it for the state-by-state criminal justice fuckery this week. Uh, I do want to give out some thank yous to the folks who have helped make this podcast possible. Thank you to our show notes sponsors, uh, Anonymous, which is actually, I don't know if it's anonymous, but like they're listed as Anon in the, uh, in the thing here. Uh, Trey Benfield, Ian Booth, Brian Carruthers, Mary Jo Gustafson, J.H., Colleen Mahaney, Neil Richmond, Michael Teal, and Mr. Zarok. And then also a thank you to our Law 140 lovers, Lindsay Bowser, Casey Carmody, Erica Phillips, Helen Poston, and Joe Sevitz. The fancy jazz music you hear at the start and end of the podcast is the track Drinks On Me by MC Carolina's Finest. And of course, our audio engineer is Mike the Sound Guy, who told me years ago I'm not allowed to use his last name because he's concerned he's going to get fired if uh, anyone finds out that he does work for this podcast. Uh, That's it for this week. Uh, We will hopefully be back on time next week. As you get stories, please feel free to pass them on as I go back to my normal routine of preparing the outline. Uh, I hope all of you are safe and well. I know we've got hurricanes and we've got fires out west and we've got coronavirus shit. Uh, I hope all of you are able to make it through. We will trudge on together. Have a great week, and I will talk to you all next Monday. Take care.